The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Hey, welcome to the Grove Church today, everybody. Uh, I'm Nick, and I've been on vacation for a couple of weeks, hanging out. Um, some of you guys thought I spent my 20th anniversary in Cleveland, so my stock went down in your eyes. But uh, anyway, now we were there doing some ministry stuff. It was really good. But um, anyway, we're jumping into a new series today, and I'm actually surprised y'all showed up when the banner outside said, stop going to church. So um, we're going to explain what that means. Some of you guys actually are like, what in the world are we doing around here with a banner like that. So we'll get into that momentarily. And uh, if you got a Bible with you, we're going to be in Matthew 16. I want to reiterate, as I often do, and I hope it doesn't fall on deaf ears, that we talk a lot about reading the Bible, about creating a habit of reading the Bible. Daily is a great habit. Obviously, there's days where maybe you miss and stuff, but um, there's a plan that we offer at grove.church. You can click on the link uh, to sign up for that plan and read along with us. But I think it's super, super important. And uh, today we're going to be in Matthew 16. I realize that we've got smartphones with Bible apps, and that's fine, but I also encourage you to bring a Bible and and sift through the pages and work on kind of where things are at. I think it's helpful. So Matthew 16 is where we're going to land. I mentioned that uh, a while back, I mentioned before, I didn't grow up in church. Uh, We would go to church sometimes. In fact, the the name I learned later on in life for people like us were Christers. We came on Christmas and Easter. And so um, when when we were kids, yeah, we would go sometimes. And um, I even remember one time where they let me hold a candle on Christmas Eve. And as a kid, I just thought that was awesome to have fire in my hand. And I didn't do anything bad. I I wanted to, but I didn't. So, um, but... uh, then, you know, as a, as a junior at Pilchuck, I encountered Jesus, and, and it really changed my view of, of, of church and, and, and kind of what that is about. And the truth is, even as I look around, kind of row by row in different stories, that some that I know pretty well, some that I don't necessarily know well, but um, we each kind of have our own story of, of why we're even here in this moment. And some, even today, I met a bunch of new families, and maybe you're here for the first time, and, and I hope that you can walk through this along with us, but um, you've got a story, and there's others that we've been here for a while and maybe decades and and a lot of history, and and you've got a story. But the simple fact is um, there's something about church that I want us to all understand, especially as we move towards fall. There's some, some vision pieces that we've been working on as a team and praying about and stuff, and I'm excited, but I think it's important that we're on the same page as to what this conversation entails when we say stop going to church. So Matthew 16 is where we're going to land. I'm going to read and we'll pray and then we'll walk through this text today. Um, It says in Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Some say, John. they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Father, today, as I always am praying and processing through a message, and and especially this moment, God, my prayer is that your spirit would help us understand why this text connected to this series matters so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's Jesus, and and he's spending time with his disciples, and and they're having kind of a conversation, and Jesus jumps in with, with a question. 
And it says, when he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, this is the question of questions. In a few moments, he's going to get even more specific for you and I, but this is a huge question. Many of us in this room at certain points in life have laid in bed at night or, or, or you know, looked up at the stars or whatever and thought, like, why am I here? Or, you know, what is this thing about, this life about? Or what is this world? Or, or you know, what's the purpose or the meaning of life? And I would put this question right along in importance, right along the big questions. Because I stand up here as a follower of Christ, and, and if, if the answer that I'm talking about is the right answer, then this is maybe even more important than those other questions. So Jesus says, who do people say that the Son of Man answers is? Excuse me. Um, how each of us answers this question really does determine um, what will rule our lives, what will be the trajectory of our lives. And, and there's options. When, when you look at the life of Jesus and he's asking, who do people say that I am today in the world that you and I live in, if you bring up a conversation about like, hey, if you think about this Jesus person, what do you think? And, and we have our opinions and our thoughts and our theology and stuff, many of us. But if you ask in general, a lot of people will say oh, he was a good person. He was a good teacher. And, and, and you think about like, well, I mean, he talks about, you know, loving people. He, he had compassion. There's stories, multiple, where, a couple anyway, in the Gospels where he gets out of a boat, he's tired, he's worn out, and there's a whole group of people, and it talks about the compassion that he had. We see him healing the sick and ministering to the poor, and, and, and what a good man, what a, what a great teacher that he is. But if you look at beyond those stories, some of the claims that Jesus made You'd begin to maybe think a little bit differently if you understood to a greater degree some of those claims. In fact, in the reading plan, it was either yesterday or today, I can't quite remember, but he talked about how, you know, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's talking about himself. And while you may not fully grasp that, if I stood up here and said, hey, you guys, just so everybody knows, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, you would stop going to church. Okay, other things that, that, that Jesus had to say. He talked about being the chosen one, or at certain points being asked about who he was, and, and he affirmed being the Messiah. He talked about, hey, just so you know, there's a whole group of people that are really mad at me, and they're so mad they're going to kill me, but don't worry, everybody, in three days it'll all be okay, I'll be alive again. If I said that, you'd stop going to church. You'd be like, this guy's wacko, this guy's crazy. And so just like C.S. Lewis talked about, he didn't leave any room for us to just simply go, he's a good moral teacher. You've got to dive into the question with even more detail. It's not just that he's a good moral teacher, and it's not just that he's a madman who had some really weird things to say. It's getting to a certain point that I want us all kind of to navigate. The response from the disciples in verse 14 was this. They replied... Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, let's, let's talk about a few of those. Let's walk through if Jesus, now John the Baptist had been beheaded a bit before this. And so when they say John the Baptist, they're thinking of this guy who lived out in the wilderness and along the Jordan and was calling people to repentance. Great. So this is John the Baptist once again calling people to repentance. That's a good thing. Okay, well, what about Elijah? 
Well, Elijah was a prophet of God that, that wanted people to understand, one, the power of God, but two, to not take lightly who God is and what he's asking of all of us. And so, well, that's a good thing. I mean, if Jesus was, was that, wow, that's pretty cool. What about Jeremiah? Jeremiah was known as the brokenhearted prophet or the weeping prophet. His heart broke for the rebellion and sin in mankind and specifically in Israel. And so you think of like the, the message that Jeremiah wanted to send that is, is that God's heart breaks for us in our sin. So those are some great options, but, but that's not all there is. He wants to go a bit further in the conversation. That's what other people say. But what about you? And the question isn't just 2,000 years ago to the disciples that were gathered around listening to him face to face. The question becomes front and center for us today. What about you? Who do you say that the Son of Man is? That question is a question you've got to ask yourself. And by the way, some of us in this room have asked ourselves that question years ago and responded and said, forgive me of my sin. I believe you're the Savior and you died and you paid the price and you rose from the dead, defeating death. And that's what I want, God. That's awesome. But the question is still there even for you today because the question of, of, of who is Jesus to you is not a one-time question. We all know there's been seasons of our lives where maybe our heart grows a little cold or you know, we're doing really good and things are on track and we get thrown a curveball and we kind of fall apart and, and run back to old patterns and get into old things that we used to be. And so the question is really a question that we've ongoing got to ask ourselves. Is Jesus the Lord of my life today is a great question. But was Jesus the Lord of your life last night when you were doing what you were doing? Some of you are like, does he know what I was doing last night? I'll let you figure that out. <laughs> is Jesus the Lord of our life as, as, a, as a regular habit, as a daily reminder? Like, like we, we look at this, what about you? Does Jesus really matter to you as a lifestyle? It says in verse 16, Simon Peter answered. Now, remember, this is Matthew 16. It's called Matthew because the, the disciple Matthew wrote this gospel. And, and, and Matthew, who is a tax collector, you know, penned this, and he's kind of getting ahead of himself to say Simon Peter. What he probably should have said is Simon answered because he's not Peter for another 30 seconds. So just a heads up. Simon Peter answered, and this is a big deal, you are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. See, that's a huge moment because this very well could be the very first time somebody's declared in a setting like this, probably in front of Jesus himself. There were people, and we know this, in the Gospels that began to murmur back and forth, like, well, is he the Messiah? Could he be? He's naughty. Where does he come from? Nobody knows where he comes from. You know, all this stuff. But Peter is the first one to actually boldly make this declaration, and we read it devotionally, and we move right on with, with our lives. This is a moment. Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're the conqueror. You're the deliverer. You're where we're going to find you know, resolution to the issue of, 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 of being ruled by something else. Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus shows up. 
in chapter 9, wrote these words in verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And you thought that was just a Christmas verse. At least I did. I was a creaster. Anyway, okay, let's just keep going. He says, and he will be called, and listen to these titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. You are the Messiah is the core for the follower of Christ, the core of everything. Do do we believe that God has the power to deliver us out of addiction? Do we believe God has the power to help us and open doors to, to, to provide for what we need? Do we believe that God is the one who brings us to a place where the Messiah is the one that offers us forgiveness because of the cross? Do we really believe these things or are we just going through the motions of showing up and I watch the show and I go home and I did church? Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. And I love that he says blessed. He's making a declaration over Peter. And here's Peter, the guy who over and over suffered from foot and mouth disease. The guy who over and over got it wrong and said the wrong things and and really got ahead of stumbling over certain moments where like, Peter, just shut up, just stop, stop it. And here's Peter. It's almost like that even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then like, hey, Peter got it, you guys. Peter passed the class for the first time. Way to go, bud. Proud of you. Peter finally gets it right. And Jesus, I love how he says it. Jesus says, blessed. Yes, he's making a declaration over him, favored of God, covered by God. I love that word. But on top of it, he goes on to say, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Peter, you're paying attention. Peter, you're on the right track. What better words when I think of this for any one of us to hear but the Lord telling us, hey, way to go. There's something about the confidence that you and I have when we know that that God is for us. That, that, that we've got this sense of the presence of God blessing our lives as we walk out what he's asking of us every single day. Verse 18, and I tell you, Jesus says, that you are Peter. And there it is. Now he's Peter. I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. See, there are some in, in Christian history that look at these verses and, and somehow understood that you're Peter. And, and that word is Petros, rock. So when, when Jesus was saying, you're Peter, the rock now, and I will build my church on this rock, it must be built on Peter. And it became known as apostolic succession. This idea that there has to be a connection to Peter for any church that ever exists in the history of the world. You've got to be able to tie it back somehow from generation to generation to generation, from prayer to prayer. Somehow there's got to be a connection. And so upon Peter, the church of Saint Peter. But that wasn't it. 
Jesus was in fact, and maybe you don't like this, but Jesus was in fact kind of using a pun, a play on words. You are Peter, you're Petros. And upon this rock, Petros, I will build my church, not on Peter, not not, not on, on the name Peter, but upon the understanding or the belief that Jesus is the Messiah. Upon the revelation, upon the understanding, upon the belief that Jesus is the Christ, that's at the core of Christ's church from the very beginning 2,000 years ago all the way to today. It has to be on Jesus as the Messiah. He says, I will build my church. Upon this Revelation, upon this rock, I will help you build buildings. I will help you create a belief structure. Upon this revelation, upon this rock, I will build my church. It's not on Peter, it's not necessarily on a belief structure. And it's definitely not a building. It's upon Christ. I will build my church. When the word church is used in the New Testament 114 times, every single time it's talking about people. It's talking about people. The church is people. Yes, centered around the belief in Jesus as the Messiah, absolutely, but it's not a building or a place. It's people. This building is struck by lightning and burned down or get mowed over by something, and and we would still be okay because the church is you and me. We are the church. That's why I'm saying we've got to stop going to church, and we need to start being the church. Yes, there's a difference. And you could say it's semantics, it's nuance. I mean, what's the big deal? It's because I don't want anyone to think that you show up and enjoy the show and go home and that was your spiritual thing for the week. That's a tragedy. That's going to church. It's why as, as you enter the double doors in the middle here, if you came in, you happen to look up, it says auditorium. And we've had certain people at different times ask us, why do you call it an auditorium and why not a sanctuary? I mean, isn't this church... And my response is simply this. I do not want, and we as a team talked about this, do not want people thinking that you come to a place to encounter Jesus while you do. And as we gather here, which is biblical, we, we, we gather as the church, but we're not limited to place. We're not limited to a, a certain space. We, we've got to make sure we understand that, listen, we don't go to Church, we are the church. It says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And it's important for you to understand that Jesus included that phrase because in the world that you and I live in, there are different individuals that would say the idea of evil or dark forces or whatever, that's, that's kind of out there, it's spiritual, but it's not like a specific reality, like there's a devil and demons. And I would argue with you, that isn't biblical at all. 
The simple truth is there is a force of wickedness, but there are a devil and demons that do try to pull us away from God's plan for our lives. Over and over in scripture, it's talked about. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about it. There's a war, a spiritual battle happening that at times you're pulled away from those things God wants because that's what the enemy wants to do. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, talk about that battle. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, talks about that battle. Jesus himself in John 10, 10 said, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. And we would be foolish to think for a moment it's just kind of a symbolism of darkness. That's foolish. That's ignorant. And that is exactly what the enemy would love for you to believe. See, I bring this up as a point because you've got to understand that I've got to wrap my head around when Jesus says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. When we understand, as I already said, Jesus as our Messiah, we've got to understand already the deliverer, the redeemer, the forgiver. The salvation bringer, the provider, over and over in scripture, there are so many titles for who God is. And even Isaiah, as I read a little bit ago, gives us some of those titles for the Messiah. And we've got to invite, through the power of the spirit of Jesus, we've got to invite the Lord to strengthen us and deliver us and open doors for us instead of just living out kind of a half-baked faith that's like, well, I'm just addicted. Well, I just, I can't forgive. Well, I'm just going to always, that's always going to be a battle. I never can overcome. This is just life. At what point do you hear Jesus' words and go, you know what? I am an overcomer. I believe God is my deliverer. I believe God is bigger than this. I believe greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When are we going to start holding on to that and start believing that God is big enough? Sorry, I've been on vacation. That's great, but why say stop going to church? Why, why say that? Isn't that irresponsible? First of all, it's created some really great talking points lately. <laughs> people are like, hey, what are you, what's that banner all about? What are you doing that to people? <laughs> well, let me explain. I just was talking with somebody in the lobby that said that was a conversation they had over Facebook. Why is your church doing that? <laughs> great talking point. But, but why would you do that? And I already mentioned it's a mentality shift. It is absolutely biblical to gather, and, and, and that's awesome, but you see it differently when you start believing that you're here for more than watching the show. Um, anybody in here heard of the 12th man? Just curious. 12th man? Okay. Anybody in here a Seahawk fan? Listen, listen, stop it. Five years ago, like, Super Bowl, I love it, amazing! And now you're like, Just like you Mariner fans, you just love Edgar in 1995, and wow, Ichiro in 01, we won 116 games and it didn't mount to diddly squat, but anyway, um, and you're not Mariner fans anymore, and I'm still a Mariner fan. It hurts. The 12th man, what is the 12th man? Okay, let me explain this to you. The 12th man means something to real Seahawk fans. Okay, hold on. Burn me at the stake here. 
You're like, I'm not a real Seahawk fan, that jerk. Okay. When you go to CenturyLink Field, that's specifically when you're the 12th man. Let me explain. When you're on the field on a football team, only, the, the team is only allowed to have how many players on the field at a time during a play? One team. 11. So the 12th man means you're the 12th player. When you're at CenturyLink Field, we're known for being either the loudest or maybe second loudest, Kansas City, I know, okay? Second loudest stadium in all of the NFL. And so when you go to a game, you're there not to go. You're there to lose your voice. You're there to clap. Yeah, come on, yeah. Somebody next to you is not doing it. Yell louder. Why? Let me explain why. Because when the other team has the ball, and especially when it's third down or fourth down and they're going for it, you want the crowd to be exceptionally loud. And when they're exceptionally loud, it makes it really hard for the team to organize and call their play. And when it's hard for them to organize and call their play, they miss the right snap count and they get a false start penalty, which sets them back five yards, which means it's going to be even farther for them to have to go to try to get to where they're supposed to go to try to score points. And it means that the 12th man can, in fact, maybe possibly change the outcome of a game. Now, why I get the loudest clap on that point is baffling to me. But, but you understand, the point is this. The 12th man exists at CenturyLink because we believe we can affect the outcome of a game. I'm saying stop going to church and start being the church because you and I can affect the outcome of eternity for hundreds and possibly thousands of people. Yes, it's a mentality shift. You and I have a part to play. We're not just showing up to be entertained. Are you not entertained? <laughs> and that gladiator, right? This isn't about being entertained. This is about you understanding the theology and the mission of the church as the body of Christ meant to be mobilized to make a difference in a world that needs it. Can I hear an amen? And that's why it's a big deal. There's all kinds of examples. Homeownership. If you rent, and that's fine, you rent or whatever. If you rent and something goes wrong, what do you do? Hi, landlord, I need you to come over and fix this. It's leaking. When you own a home, different story. Hi, landlord, oh, that's me, fix it. <laughs> it becomes, all of a sudden, when you own a home or you're looking to buy a home, you care about home prices. How many of you in the last month have gone online and looked up your house's value? Just curious. Come on, be honest. There's more than that, you liars. Because you're like, I wonder what it's worth. If I sold today, what would I get out of it? Because you're in the game. When you don't have kids in school, school district, I don't care. When you have kids, like, I care. There's customer service. Some of you treated your server last night so badly, you need to go back and tip them more today without buying anything. I know where you went. Saw you treating <laughs> server poorly. So we got, We've got to stop going to church and start being the church. I want to just for a second say this. Another reason as a pastor that I would warn you to stop going to church would be this. If you're hearing truth, but you're not doing anything about it, your heart is becoming harder by the day. 
And that's where I don't like to say it this way, but I would warn you, then you probably should stop going because your heart is becoming harder and that's not a good thing. And yeah, my prayer is that God would break through the hardness and, and, and do something to flood whatever's going on and, and bring change. But I would say as you're listening to truth, there's got to be a response. Truth demands a response. So the only other caveat to stop going to church is this. If you're not doing anything, your heart is becoming harder. Verse 19, and then I'm done, says this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And this has been a verse that people have puzzled over a long time. And, and again, there's all kinds of ways that people have tried to understand it. But if you look at the, the fulfillment in the New Testament of what Jesus was saying, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And I really do believe, as I've studied, that this is empowerment. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit, the keys of the kingdom that will empower you to go out and, and literally live like heaven on earth. That literally loose what, what, what God desires in heaven on this planet, that people can see every day who Jesus is by how you live your life. We talk about his love and his grace and his compassion and, and his ministry and his, his reaching every person and not setting aside certain people out of judgment, but expressing that grace and that we're called to do that sort of thing. So when Jesus challenges at the end this, this word to Peter and to the disciples, he says, whatever you bind on earth, meaning as you live a Christ-centered life, as you live in surrender to the work of the Spirit, that what happens on earth matches what happens in heaven, and that's how it needs to be. Those things you ought to uh, shy away from on earth are the things that in heaven aren't happening, sin and selfishness and indulgence. As I end it, it makes me think of certain people where over time you watch the, the light bulbs come on. And again, I could look all over and different people in here and stories that I know and, and, and experiences that you've had where it's cool to see how you've, at some point, as a light came on, you stopped going to church and you started being the church. And, and the best example, and I say this because I think she kind of deserves props, honestly. I've watched the journey of, of Jen Irvig, and it's so fun, and I'm so proud of her. I feel like a dad when I say it, um, because Jen... Years ago, when I got to know her, I was just a young married gal with a couple of kids and just kind of doing life and, and, you know, learning about her faith and then growing in her faith and then realizing she has a place in that faith and, and that, that, that idea of stop going, start being. And honestly, at this point, I'm just fast forwarding for time's sake. But, um, as that light came on, man, she took seriously that want to follow Jesus and that want to make a difference. And there are lives in this room that are better because of how Jen has invested in you. And I love that she's part of our team and, and she cares desperately about helping you get connected and helping you take steps. She wrote a book and, and encourage you to buy it. And, you know, as my mind unwinds is what it's called. And a great book, just devotional stuff, thoughts about just life and spirituality and, and navigating her faith. But, um, that's to me one of the best examples. And honestly, the first one that came to mind as I was thinking about who is it that really gets stop going, start being. And so I just want to celebrate that. And she's, Standing right there. I want you to say this. I want to stop going. And I want to start being the church. Father, today, I pray for your spirit to work in all of us. To understand that that conversation with Peter really is the foundation of where we're at that we believe in a Messiah that, that, that paid the price that we could find forgiveness, that the cross and, and death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus was that moment that, that we hang our hat on, that that question is a huge, who is that person? 
And for us, the Messiah, the one who paid that price that we could have life, paid that price that, that we could be delivered, paid that price so that we could be forgiven, paid that price so that we could do what you desire. And I pray that we would believe it. We would stand up and stop going to church and start being the church, a people centered around the belief in the Messiah that's come to change the world through us. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.